Hi, friends. Welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back, or enjoy your drive, and let's get authentic, real, and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today, where we're going to talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In episode 42, Sasha talks about the importance of recognizing and overcoming perfectionism. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Hey, Brave Enough Show. Thank you for checking in with me today and joining me. I really hope that you're here with an open mind today. And I want to share with you just some real life, you know, struggles that I've had with perfectionism. And the reason that I wanted to share this is because I'm not sure how many of you know this, but twice a year, I lead a small group of women through something called the Brave Enough Masterclass. And it's a class for women to stop and hit pause and just evaluate areas of their life that they feel stuck in, that they find themselves struggling with the same problem over and over, or totally feeling like you're out of control as far as your work-life balance, like you have none, (laughs) or areas of your life that you feel like you need to move on and set healthy boundaries, but you're not sure how to do that, or just a feeling of, you know, discontentment. And I think a lot of us find ourselves in careers or in situations in life where we stop and we look around and we go, how? did I get here? How am I this unhappy? How am I stuck? How am I feeling like I'm just going through the motions? And I'm here to tell you that one of the biggest topics that we cover is perfectionism in this class. It's like unlocking a key and it's a key that unlocks a door to all of our goals and objectives that we really want in life. And so oftentimes what's holding us back is perfectionism. So the masterclass is something that I developed for women in medicine or professional women. You don't have to be a doctor to take it, who are really asking themselves these questions, or maybe someone who wants to start a side gig or business or just follow a dream of theirs. And they're like, I don't know how to be that person. I don't know how to move out of this place that I'm in and pursue these things in my life that really matter that I think about all the time. So I created this curriculum and I did it after a year of soul searching and some internal work on myself. And I really built a curriculum around this idea that if we all come together in a small group and we share common struggles, and we have this identification of these goals and objectives and that we move through how to change that we can change together. And so if you're interested in the masterclass, which is really what I'm going to give you a little mini version of today, where we talk about perfectionism, go to becomebraveenough.com. I would love to hang out with you for 12 weeks and I would love to get to know you. It's one of my favorite things I do because let me tell you something, it gets real and it gets real fast and you're going to find people from all over the country that you identify with and that are going to help you change and hold you accountable. It is phenomenal. And I'm just, it's so awesome that the previous three classes that have gone through it all have super strong connections and friendships now in real life, which is just amazing. And these women, you know, after each class has gone through the class and finished the 12 weeks, they're like, we want more. We do not want to stop this class. Please keep this group going. So you're in a private group. The hour commitment, which everybody asks me per week is about an hour, uh, minimum that you will be, uh, really committing to yourself. And if you think that's too much, I want to really push you on that because what it is, it's it's self-reflection, it's self-work. And if you don't have an hour, I would argue to give of yourself, man, do you ever need this class? And so many women who took the class are like, oh my gosh, this is my hour. Like I'm going to you to work on myself for an hour here. And they're like, don't take that hour for me. (laughs) 
they're like, we can't ever believe that we never had this hour before. It's amazing. So that is what you really have to commit. You may want to give more time to it, but I'm telling you just an hour to an hour and a half a week. I made the class so that busy women who are working and who are managing all the things may have a family, may have an elderly parent they care for, may have crazy jobs or travel can do it. So you can definitely do it. So definitely sign up at became become brave enough.com. So I thought today, because I'm getting so many questions about the masterclass, what is it? How can I join it? Is it for me? Can I do it? We would just kind of go over a little mini sesh on here over a topic that I think is so important and something that for years, Here's the thing. I thought this was a positive attribute that I had. So it's perfectionism. And if you're listening today and you have some perfectionistic tendencies, or maybe you've been called a perfectionist, I want to really make you just stop and take a deep breath and think about things maybe a little differently. Because I know that when I realized that my perfectionism was actually paralyzing me and causing me so much negative internal dialogue. And then it wasn't this positive attribute that I always thought it was and built it up to be. And the reason that I was a good, you know, student and the reason that I was a good friend and the reason that I was a good, all these things, um, man, it was like a light switch went off and I realized how much my perfectionistic tendencies and my perfectionism was bringing me shame. So I thought we would go through that today and I'm going to um, just tell you thank you for being here because you could be doing so many other things right now. Maybe you're on a walk, maybe you're commuting, maybe you're driving in your car, maybe you are listening on a road trip, maybe you're getting ready in the morning and I just want to thank you for being here and I wish that um, you could share the Brave Enough show with other women, other men and women who may want to listen because it's just something that I feel I'm really passionate about is just encouraging people in their life and where they are professionally and personally to live authentically. So when I was growing up, I was told I was a perfectionist all the time by my parents, by my friends, grandparents, teachers, and I always took pride in it. You know, um, a few times, uh, my father who is not a perfectionist (laughs) would tell me, you know, don't be such a perfectionist. Don't be so hard on yourself. And I remember hearing him say that, but at the same time, I remember getting, you know, gold stars and, you know, I loved the hundred percent in the red pen on my homework. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm so valuable because I succeed because I'm a perfectionist. And I tied those things together. So I tied being a perfectionist with success and doing things perfectly meant that I earned gold stars and that I got a hundred percent and I made the honor roll and every, I made everybody happy, right? Cause that's where you, when you grow up, especially as a girl, we know, um, you get accolades and you get gold stars by being obedient and by being perfect. Right? So everything that I did growing up, I just, it like fed my ego. My little ego was just to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm perfect. I did this perfect. I got the perfect grade on this. I got the perfect, you know, I tied the perfect bow. I made the perfect picture. I mean, everything, my, my whole world was thinking that being perfect or as close to perfect as I could be was how I was going to be successful and therefore how I was going to be happy and valued by other people around me. Now, I think that it's hard for me to talk about perfectionism without saying that I work in a field, which is medicine, where another another thing that is really valued is perfectionism. And if you're listening and you're not in the medical field, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, like when I go to the hospital, I want that procedure done perfectly. I want, you know, the diagnosis or the test to be done, you know, without any errors. And that is the level of what is considered standard in so many medical arenas. And so it's no wonder that my 
my, you know, perfectionistic self who always wanted to succeed and was a high achiever was drawn to the field of medicine where there is very little room for nothing less than perfect. And if there is something that's less than perfect, we are really not taught to reveal it or talk about it. And certainly we don't brag about it. Um, now things have changed as we've grown in a culture that is more concerned with patient safety. Um, we are, we are told to, um, and we are encouraged, especially as I think when you grow in medicine to share your failures, share your errors, share your mistakes, especially with the medical community, because you want to make sure that other people don't make those same mistakes. But still, if you look at how we are judged in medicine, even from things like governmental ratings and, and, you know, patient safety ratings, patient um, quality ratings, or certainly patient satisfaction ratings, it is still very glorified that we have to be perfect. And here's the thing, no one's perfect. So we fail. You fail every day. If you're a perfectionist, you fail every day. You are constantly, you know, seeking that gold star, which you're very rarely living up to because you're human. So I think that as a child, this was very confusing for me. And especially when I achieved in my, in medicine and in college and being pre-med and then going to medical school and residency and all these, this training in this high stressful environment, I thought perfectionism was being a good doctor. I thought it was being a good mom. I thought it was being a good wife. And really, if you think about, and you read about the, that psychology of perfectionism, there's very little room for failure. So there's very little room for creativity and innovation because when you want to move forward, you will not do it unless you think you can do it perfectly. So you are, you get really good at one thing, but you probably could be doing other things or more innovative things or adding to science or adding to all these other things. But we don't do that in our worlds as perfectionists because we are not going to do it unless it's perfect. And because we can't do it perfectly, we're not going to put our toe in the water. And so oftentimes perfectionists don't start things. And if you're listening and, you know, think about a time and you you identify with what I'm saying, think about a time where someone said, you know, you should try this, or you're really good at that. You should create this or be, or try this or do this. And you think, yeah, I could do that, but I can't do it perfectly. So I'm not going to do it. Now, the other thing that perfectionists leads to is a lot of overcommitment. And the reason for this is because we don't trust other people to do our work for us. And this really hit me when I was talking to a friend of mine several years ago and I was telling her, you know, we were talking and she was asking me how I was doing. And I was like, well, you know, I just never have time for myself. I wish I could exercise, but I can't because I don't have time for myself because I have to work and then I have to come home and I have to take care of the kids. And she's like, well, why don't you, you know, hire somebody else to come in the morning and do the kids stuff so you can go to the gym. And I was like, oh, I, I can't do that. And at the root of that was not because I couldn't find some, you know, change my lifestyle and my budget to afford it. The root of it was I felt I had to do it to be perfect. And then I started examining other areas of my life where I was too afraid to ask for help because I really honestly thought I was the only person that can do this. I'm the only person that can give this talk. I'm the only person that can write the paper the best. I'm the only person that can do this really difficult case the best. That feeds your sense of ego, but it also leads to overcommitment and it leads to burnout because you as a perfectionist think that no one else can do the work that you can do best. 
And I remember someone reading in a book somewhere that a really highly successful, very efficient, very productive person said that the re- the, the minute they stopped thinking of themselves as this you know, person that could only do everything. And they started thinking, okay, I'm going to waylay that to someone else. I'm going to, you know, have someone else do this or that, or I'm going to hire this out, or I'm going to have, you know, give this opportunity or this job to someone else. If I think they can do 80% the job that I can do it, it's, and I, it doesn't bring me, you know, immense joy, or I don't have to do it. There's nothing unique about me doing it. Then I'm going to give it to this other person. And I'm going to delegate. And I was like, oh my gosh, this 80% delegation rule kind of opened my eyes because I realized that I was creating this story in my mind that I was the only person who could do all these things because I was the only person that could do it close to perfect as possible. Now that's a lot of stress on a human being. (laughs) And so, you know, how many times does your spouse or your friend or your, a parent, or maybe somebody that helps you around your house says, you know, I'm going to go through the closet and organize this. And you're like, Ooh, (laughs) so like, I remember the very first time my husband's like, I'm going to organize the pantry. Okay. God bless him. I was like, no, you're not. You are not touching the pantry. Now, if him organizing the pantry saves me like six hours of, of work that I could be doing other things, working on my health, creating something that only I can write, writing something. Does it really matter how he organizes the cereal boxes? Like, yes. Could I, am I like a master organizer? Yes. Am I really good at organizing? Yes. I'm a little OCD. I'm an anesthesiologist. This is what we do. (laughs) If you come into the operating room and I'm in there, every syringe is, you know, has its place and it's labeled and it's turned a specific place. And it's, I'm, I'm very OCD, but very perfectionist. But now I'm so much better because I realized that that life that I was living was causing me to overcommit, causing me to live in a place of ego where I thought I was the only person who could do all these things and causing me to not be able to do the innovative, creative things that only I can do or be spend time with the people that only I can spend time with. You know, I would find myself refolding clothes that my nanny had folded because I didn't like the way she folded them. But guess what I wasn't doing at night when I came home from work? I wasn't reading to my kids and putting them to bed because I had to fold, refold the laundry. And I'm, you, you're probably listening to this going, oh my gosh, she re- runs an organization and has a podcast and she refolds the laundry. Um, I, yeah, I probably need some therapy for that, but I don't anymore because I realize like 80% is my delegation rule now. And I follow that. And if somebody else can do it at 80%, then I am like, you know what? I don't have to do that. So I stopped seeing perfectionism in myself as this like really positive trait. And I started identifying that, you know, it doesn't mean that anything's wrong with me, but it's something I have to be aware of and work on. And I also, the third thing that I really recognized in myself was that along with perfectionism came a whole lot of shame and a whole lot of beating myself up and the inner critic would come out because I would fail because, you know, nobody's perfect. And so let me give you an example of how perfectionism leads to more negative actions and more negative behaviors and thoughts and shame eventually. So say you are on a diet and you are going to give up sugar hundred percent. Okay. Now, if you're listening and you've never tried this, I don't even know what to say to you. <laughs> 
because I don't know a person in the planet who hasn't like tried to give up sugar for at least one day. So maybe, maybe one hour, maybe you could only last one hour. I don't know. So, you know, you do these crazy ideas in your mind where it's all or nothing. And you're like, I'm going to give up sugar. And maybe you make it till five (laughs) o'clock. Maybe you make it till the next day. Maybe you make it a whole month and you do like a whole 30 or something, but maybe you slip up one time because guess what? The goal that you set for yourself was probably a little ridiculous. Nobody's going to give up sugar for the rest of their life. There's not a person. I don't care. I'm thinking of the woman, Melissa, who wrote Whole30. I bet your money that she eats sugar every now and then. There is no way that you, any person can go their whole life without, you know, slipping up. Okay. And so what you do is you set these perfectionist, if you're a perfectionist, you set these ridiculous goals for yourself and everything less than that is a failure. So then you eat the sugar or you fall off the wagon and you eat the cake or you ate the whole bag of, you know, M&Ms or whatever. And what happens? What comes along? Failure, shame, inner critic comes out and starts telling you how you're a failure. And what do you do? What does that lead to? more negative behavior. Then you're like, well, I just ate the whole bag of M&Ms. I might as well, you know, start on the Oreos. (laughs) I might as well order some French fries. Ooh, hand me that pizza, right? Like this is what happens. And so we, because then now that becomes what soothes our failure. So then all the, what comes along with us right instantly, shame, 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 shame. And the shame that we had for the M&Ms is not anything now compared to what the shame we have for eating the M&Ms and the pizza and the Pepsi. And, you know, I'm just using foods as an example here, but there could be a million other things. I mean, I've failed in so many different areas of my life that I've beat myself up for. And then I've failed even more for beating myself up for that. So I've recognized that, oh my goodness, being a perfectionist, number one is causing me to overcommit. Number two, it's causing me to live in a place of ego. And number three, it's causing me to have shame. None of those three things are good. Why have I always thought that being a perfectionist is, is a really good thing? So how do we come through that? How do we, you know, come over that? Well, first, I think we have to def- set realistic expectations for ourselves. We, we can delegate, just as I said, when something could be as 80% good, just either the, the same thing applies for you. If you can do something, but you only can achieve it at 90%, that's still better than being paralyzed from perfectionism and never taking the step forward, right? So the other thing we have to do is we have to really define what our objectives, our goals, and our failure is, okay? So this is now what I do. I used to think I'm writing this paper and I'm going to get it published. And anything less than publishing this paper is a failure. Well, that's a pretty unrealistic goal, So now I give myself like, you know what, I'm going to write five papers and I would hope that I would have an 80% publication rate. So I'm, I'm not going to, it's not a hundred percent because that's just setting myself up for failure and, and who's writing shotgun then as Brene Brown says, shame, you know, when perfection is in the driver's seat, she says, shame is writing shotgun. So I don't set those goals for myself. So now what a success to me is, is getting four out of five papers published that I write. And that one that I wrote that nobody likes, that nobody will publish, that's okay. Maybe yours is 50%. Um, I, I do the same thing with rejections. You know, I send out a lot of reject, uh, for asks for sponsorships for my conferences and different things. Probably 80% of the people say, Nope, we're not interested, but that's okay. 20%. If I get a 20% yes anymore, that's a really a success for me. I'm like fire up. This person wants to, wants to get on board, wants to help sponsor something. So I think that you have to redefine what success is, which is really hard as a perfectionist. Okay. And then this is going to be even more earth shattering and really hard. 
you have to share your failures. So the biggest way that I combat, I combat being a perfectionist and not living in that place of ego where I'm telling myself that the only people that are going to like me are the people that think I'm perfect or the people that know all about my success or the people that are, are really going to value me are the people that only know how I've succeeded. You know, what helps me with that sharing my failure and perfectionists hate to share their failure. They cover it up right? They don't want anyone to see them. They don't want anyone to see the the soft spots or the dimples or, you know, the extra five pounds they're carrying around. Um, they're Photoshopping, you know, they want everything to look perfect. They take 500 selfies before they post a picture because they don't want anything to look imperfect. Well, what happens when you meet that person in real life and you're like, Oh, you don't look anything like your pictures. Hmm. And I'm using that as just an, as, as an example, but guess what? If you get to know anybody on a deep level, if all you know are their successes, you don't know them. And so one of the things that I've learned about myself is I got to start talking about my failures and I got to share with people and my, especially my close people who I love and who I really want to respect me, the truth, which is you know, I fail sometimes and not posting, you know, the perfect picture and not bragging about all of the successes in your life and the wonderful things your kids do, but talking about the real stuff, you know, the times you messed up, the times your kids mess up, the times you made a mistake here. I mean, if you would think about the time, the things that we've learned in our life, if we really pause and we think about the times where we've learned something really important, I guarantee you, it probably has to do with either losing something or failing at something losing someone we love or losing, um, a a dream or, you know, failing, letting someone down or letting ourselves down. That's when you learn. So why wouldn't we share that with other people who can learn from our mistakes too? So I just wanted to give you a little brief overview of some of the stuff that we talk about in the masterclass and some of the things that we then apply to move forward. There's homework that's associated with each lecture each week, which is awesome. And then we talk about it every week for 30 minutes in a small group and it's all recorded and it's all online. So if you can't get on to that week, you just do it on your own time when you're taking a walk or whatever you listen. I hope that you were listening today and and if you could identify with some of the things I've talked about and being a perfectionist, I just want to encourage you. Number one, it's okay to be a perfectionist. <laughs> like it's welcome to the club. It's okay to fail. And I hope that you reach out, um, send me a message. If you liked this podcast, let me know how you are struggling or how you're dealing with being a perfectionist or if it identified with you or give me a shout out on social media. Also, I love to answer your questions on social media. So feel free to message me or send me an email. I answer every one of them at Sasha at become brave And as always live brave. This has been an HSG production.